Welcome to Batty to Batty, a monthly podcast by For the Breast of Us, the first breast cancer community for all women of color, where we share real-life experiences, information, and education to help you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Hey baddies, I'm Onisha, a proud baddie ambassador, author, advocate, and life coach. I was diagnosed with stage 2B breast cancer at the age of 28. I believe we should always strive to be a light, see the light, and never dim our lights. I'm excited to get into this conversation with you. Let's chat. Let's chat. Hey, it's Vanessa, aka Baby Baddie. I was diagnosed with stage 2A invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 24, and I'm here representing the young Latinx baddies. By the way, if you hear some cackling, chances are it's me laughing at my own jokes. Hey, baddies. My name is April, and I am a proud ambassador for the breast of us, repping for our plus size baddies. I live in Columbia, South Carolina, but I am from Brunswick, Georgia. I was diagnosed with stage two invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 35 in 2016, triple negative, BRCA1 positive, and also later diagnosed with large B-cell lymphoma. I can't wait to start having conversations with you. Let's get into it. Hello, baddies. Hello. Welcome to hey, Batty hey. to Batty. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to Batty to Batty, a podcast brought to you from For the Breast of Us, the first online community for women of color affected by breast cancer. My name is April, and I am here today with Batty ambassadors Monisha and Vanessa and sexologist Goody Howard. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Hi. How you doing? All good. How are you? I am fantastic. fantastic. (laughs) So let's take a moment for everybody to introduce themselves. I would like to start with our baby baddie. Let me let you go first. (laughs) Sure. Hi, this is Vanessa. Um, I otherwise known as Baby Baddie. I am the youngest of the Baddie Ambassadors, hence the name Baby Baddie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 24. Um, ERPR positive, HER2 negative, stage 2A. And uh, since then, that was back in June of 2020. Since then, I've had a lumpectomy, followed by five months of ACT chemo followed by a double mastectomy, and now I'm on hormone therapy for the next five to 10 years. And recently I just completed my first year of hormone therapy. So uh, that was a long intro. Oh, I'm from DC. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. All right. Thank you, baby Banny. <laughs> all right, Miss Monisha. I am Monisha. I am in um, North Carolina. I was diagnosed with stage 2B when I was 28. Um, I am an author, advocate, survivor, um, newly um, certified life coach, fierce mama bear and wife. Um, and um, I was diagnosed after watching my mom and grandmother uh, battle breast cancer. So I have a family history, um, but my diagnosis uh, kind of pushed me to walk um, walk in purpose, be more present and to make sure that I am being poured into um, as much as I'm pouring out. So I'm excited to chat with you ladies. Okay. All right. And to our woman of the hour, <laughs> Ms. Howard. Yeah, Ms. Howard, if you're nasty, you know. Um, <laughs> my name is Goody Howard, and I am a partner, a parent, and a pleasure professional. Um, I am a sexologist, educator, and consultant. So I do pleasure development and professional development. Today, we're focusing on the pleasure development. So um, we're talking about like just how to connect to and improve, you know, your performance, your function, and your pleasure. Um, like I said, I'm a parent and a partner. I'm not a wife and a mother because that shit is hard. And I used to do that, but I'm retired from that now. Um, <laughs> and we're going to get into that too and how all that stress that comes with those two titles can impact your function and pleasure as well. Um, but I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to be here. Well, honey, we are excited to have you. We are going to ask some questions. Listen, this is an unfiltered podcast. So whatever is laid upon your heart to say, please, by any means, let it out. Okay. All right. Um, I remember you said that. I did. And did. And did. And I meant that. <laughs> so just to give a brief introduction, I am April. I'm also a baddie ambassador for the rest of us. I was diagnosed with triple negative-ish invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 35 in 2016. And I am quickly approaching the five-year mark whoop, whoop, of no evidence of disease. I also, like Monisha, have a family history of breast cancer, which um, I'm also BRCA1 positive and had a diagnosis as well of large B-cell lymphoma when I had um, a total hysterectomy. So that's who I am, and I'm so happy to be here. So let's get this conversation started. So today our topic is pleasure principle. Oh, to Janet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so today we're discussing all things sex and how to keep the spark going at a cancer after a cancer diagnosis and treatment. Mm -hmm. This will definitely be a great conversation. So let's get into it. Yes. So we know historically that women of color don't talk about anything that goes down in the bedroom, right? It's it's like taboo. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about um, things that we may be experiencing within our body. So I grew up in a Christian household and God forbid you talked about that in a Christian household. It's like, well, what is sex? So, ladies, were you comfortable talking about sex within your families or with your family members or the women, the elders in your family? And how has this played into your relationships? <laughs> nope. <laughs> that is just 
absolutely not talked about ever. Um, I think, you know what, the first time I think my mom and I actually kind of talked about it was I was a sophomore in college and one of my, I think like second, I'm, I'm from a very large Mexican family. I think one of my cousins, I don't know how we're cousins, but we're cousins, um, got pregnant as a teenager um, or I think she was like 20 or something like that. And so my mom was like, you're going on birth control. And that was that was that conversation. And that was it. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, it's it's really just it's it's not it, it really wasn't talked about in my family. But also I come from a very uh, Catholic family as well. So that I think also has a little bit of something to do with it. But yeah, it was it was not talked about. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was my experience. That was my experience too. We really didn't have those conversations. And it wasn't really because my mom didn't like leave the door open for the conversations. Like she never initiated it. So if it came up, it was kind of like something came on TV, flashed on TV, like a scene. And we kind of make eye contact. We might talk a little bit there, but it was never like, or we sat down and had like the talk. Um, And even when, you know, I didn't feel comfortable talking to my mom about stuff, even when she would be like, are you having sex? I'd be like, no. So it was like, no, until I'm pregnant. Did this? <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. So and that's yeah. the thing. When, when parents ask their kids, I tell parents this all the time. You ask your child, are you having sex? They're going to tell you no, and they're not lying to you because in that moment, they're not having sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my upbringing was very much the same as as yours. It was not a conversation. So I which which is funny, just taking it back a little bit further, there wasn't really a conversation about a period either. Like it was one day it was something going on in my underwear and the next thing out of my mother's mouth was you know you can get pregnant right wait a minute what pregnant what what you mean like there was no conversation no segue no introduction no it was just you can have a baby oh okay (laughs) so was there any kind of conversation with you all with your parents about your your menstruation was there anything did they even talk about that so for i can ah uh, huh. so everyone in my age bracket so anyone that's like early 20s will know they probably all received this book it's the american girl uh it was like the know your body book or the body book or something and and there's this whole chapter about your period i remember my mom put um buying me this book and um, putting a little bookmark on the period section, she's like, all right, go ahead and read this chapter and let me know if you have any questions. Yes, <laughs> and it tells you all about, like, it tells you how to put in a tampon and it, it tells you, like, the different stages of, like, your breasts growing and, like, that whole, like, the women's health, like, section um, so that it was more like a, all right, go ahead and read this. We can have a Q and a like a book club, sort of thing. period book club. <laughs> so um, I, I'm thankful that at least that that material was available. Um, so I, I did feel somewhat informed, but I mean, we, we didn't really like talk, talk about it. You know, mm. it was still something that was very like hush, hush, like, 
but mm. I, I I did get some something out of that, but you know, it was yeah, it was still taboo. Yeah, mm. my mom did have those conversations about like your cycle and everything. So we did sit down and thank God because you know your little friends were getting there and everybody was clueless, like trying to like. So I'm glad. I appreciate my mom for making sure that I understood kind of the changes um, that were going on in my body. I think one of the things though that I noticed, like especially like in a lot of black families that when that starts happening, like they point out like, oh, them hips spread it. Like, and that makes, as a young girl, it makes you very self-conscious. Like I know Mm -hmm. for me, like when my hips start spreading, I thought, oh my gosh, I walked around middle school with the jacket tied around my waist. Like, you know, they point out like the changes in your body, not really have those conversations like, it's nothing wrong with you. This is okay. So I think that starts like early. Like you went from like, all right, I'm good to, oh, I got, I got to cover up. I, like it's something wrong. So I feel like my mm-hmm. mom didn't do that, but I got that a lot like within my family, like older women in my family. I think uh, I got, I think I started as a sex educator because of my administration because, so my mother's a nurse. And so she mm-hmm. explained to us, we talked about sex we talked about menstruation. She told me what to do, what it was. She prepared me, showed me how to use the pads. Every time she bought pads, she bought me some pads from the time I was like nine, right? So I started my period at 10. She had already trained me on what to do. So child, I was just doing it. I didn't make an announcement. Wasn't no press conference. I just started using the pads I already had in my closet, right? So she making her list and she's like, well, I need to get some more pads. I was like, yeah, I need some more too. And she was like, you don't even have a period yet. And I was like, girl, I've been on that for two years. What are you saying? I was like 12 at this point. <laughs> so she had bought me so many pads. I had a shit like every time she bought pads, she bought me stuff. So she made me go in the bathroom and pull down my underwear and show her my pad because she did not believe me. She was like, well, why you didn't tell me? And I was like, I didn't know I needed to tell you. You told me what to do. You trained me to the standard. You prepared me for success. What was I supposed to do? Have a, why should I tell you when I got the stuff I need? Right. Mm-hmm. And so then all my friends started having, because again, I started at 10. So all my friends started getting their periods. They didn't know what to do. So I'm like, oh, you just do this. You just do this. You know, I had, I kept a little, you know, a, pa- a, a extra pair of panties and a pad in my backpack at all times. Mm-hmm. So like, I was like, you just keep an extra, just keep it in the Ziploc bag. And this is what you do. And so I, I guess I've been a sex educator since I was 10. But I grew up in a very sex positive household. We talked about sex, like P and V sex. But we didn't talk about the social implications. We didn't mm. talk about what fast means and how you're going to be perceived after your period starts and the sexualization of young black girls as young black women. Right. We don't talk about we didn't talk about how I live in Texas. Right. So it's 105 degrees on a Tuesday in the summertime. Yeah, I'm gonna have on some shorts and a T-shirt or a tank top running around my own house. Right. And now if your daddy finna have company, you need to go put some clothes on. Because we think we're protecting our girls, right? What kind, We're not asking the question, what kind of men are coming over here that's going to be attracted to a 10-year-old, 12-year-old mm. girl running through this house and in, in a, on an ozone day in 105-degree weather? She can't be in her own home dressed comfortably because the men are coming over? We need to question the men's motives, not the little girl's comfort, right? right. Um, and talk about the hip spreading and all of that. We, we immediately jump on the womanization and the adultification of young black girls. And really, really young women of color, because it happens, I'm sure, uh, in Latinx communities as well. So we don't get that narrative. We don't get that space to be young girls once we start bleeding. I have a six-year-old daughter, and when I'm 
you know, going through my business, she's always, you know, you can't go to the bathroom by yourself when you have children. But she's always in there. She's like, mommy, you're bleeding. You have blood. And so we had a conversation about what that looks like. You know what I'm saying? It's like, one day you're going to have this too. And I'm going to show you how to navigate that. She will never know tampons and pads. She will know thinks panties and discs and cups. That is what she's going to learn from jump. I don't want her to have to unlearn. You know what I'm saying? But we're going to talk like we don't even talk about how your menses can show up and tell you, inform you about your general health. We just talk about you have a you have a period now you can have a baby. Don't do either of don't do it. You know what I'm saying? So even before we even get and and with having the talk, it's not just one conversation, right? It's an ongoing narrative. It's an it's a culture you're building in your home. And when we have parents that have an open door policy, that's cool, but your kids are not going to come to you when they feel like they're ready to have sex. I have a homeboy that has like four boys and he's like, I just tell them when you're ready to have sex, let me know. We'll go pick out some condoms. They don't want you to go pick out condoms with them. Mm -hmm. And if they have a sex, it, they obviously, sometimes they're not planning it. It's just, it pops up and it's a thing that happens. So you need to make sure they have condoms and know how to use condoms prior to that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I encourage parents that have children with penises. Okay to encourage them to masturbate with a condom on. Now we talk about self-pleasure with little boys. We don't talk about self-pleasure with little girls. You, you notice they start taking longer showers and things like that. Now you know you need to have a conversation. No one talks to little girls about pleasure when puberty hits, okay? But if you have a child with a penis and you, you want, you're gonna have to have a, some sort of conversation around self-pleasure and that it's a private thing and it's natural, et cetera, um, encourage them to masturbate with a condom on and then provide them condoms and lubricant um, because using a condom for self-pleasure on a penis will help you um, associate pleasure and condom use. Because, you know, the main thing is like, oh, we don't feel the same. But if, that, if you practice how you play, then that's what you know, right? So it's skill building because they get used to putting it on, right? It is associating pleasure and condom use, which is going to change the trajectory of STI and unplanned pregnancy numbers in this country on the planet, right? And it's easy cleanup. So you know where all your socks and washcloths are. Um, and you ain't got to go looking for nothing. <laughs> right? So, you know, just, just uh, supply them with lubricant. <laughs> because lubricant is designed to create a smoother ride between you and whoever or whatever you fucking on. Lotion absorbs into the skin. Oil absorbs into the skin. Lubricant is designed to remain on the surface of the skin. Right? And so it helps them. So even if they're not masturbating with a condom on, if they're using lotion, they could damage the blood vessels in their genitals. And that is whether they have a vulva or a penis. Mm. Get them lubricant. Because if they're not, spit is not lube. And if they damage the blood vessels in their genitals, it's going to impact their erection quality, whether they have a clitoral erection or a penal erection. It's going to impact their wetness, their sexual function, their arousal, and their orgasm quality. Okay, good. Wait, wait. And that's Wait. for all of us. So if you're not if you're masturbating or having sex and you're not using lubricant, your life is incomplete. <laughs> I don't care if you miss Aquafina Wapity Wap 2022. That's ain't different with the ceiling fan on. You know what I'm saying? The ceiling fan is not your friend when it comes to pussy juice. So <laughs> a little, I'm just just a little bit. Just a little. Just a little bit. You ain't got to pour it all out. Just a little, you know. Just a little bit. Just a little dab will do you. You know what I'm saying? But don't play with yourself and don't play with your pleasure. Okay. So 
when do you suggest, like you mentioned your six-year-old, she's in the bathroom mm -hmm. with you and she sees the blood and mm -hmm. from your period. Mm -hmm. So when do you recommend that these conversations start and where do they start? Do they start parent with the child or does it start with your friends? You know, what do you recommend? Well, so a lot of parents want to be the center of their child's sex education, but they're not prepared. They're not trained. They don't know what they're talking about. They could create more harm than good. There is right. a platform called Sex Positive Families run by the amazing Melissa Pintar Carnegie. She is a woman of color uh, out of Texas because we stay representing, um, even <laughs> though Texas does stay embarrassing us. But um, <laughs> the people here are awesome, but Texas stays embarrassing us. Um, she has classes and workshops and workbooks for parents to position them as the authority for sex ed in their homes, sex positive uh, education in the homes. But um, sex ed with kids starts at, should start at um, basically birth because sex education is comprehensive. It's not just penis and vagina and STIs and teen pregnancy. It is autonomy. It is boundaries. It is body part names. It is all of the things, right? Navigating authority and power dynamics. It is all of that. And so specifically at potty training, if you haven't started before that time, teaching them proper names for their bodies. Um, because if you don't, you're priming them for predators. I had a friend who's a teacher and this little girl came and said, my dad's playing in my kitchen. And she's thinking, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. Daddy's playing kitchen with his daughter. He told that little girl her vulva was her kitchen. So predators know who they can do that shit to. And they know the language to groom and not get caught. So you have to give them the right language for their bodies. And they need to know the body parts that they have and the ones that they don't. So-and-so mm -hmm. put their penis in my face. Because otherwise they're not going to know what that is. And they're not going to understand that that's a private part that doesn't belong in your face. You see what I'm saying? Um, but you, they need to know that. Pre-K. I teach comprehensive sex education through the lifespan. So pre-K. Cradle to the grave. Pre-K to 80. I'm in it. Right? So... Um, it looks like if you see like a, I saw this video a long time ago, it was like a series of greetings just up on a wall and the, the kindergartners would walk up and they would point to how they want to be greeted and the teacher would greet them in that way. That's mm -hmm. sex ed in action at the pre-K level because you're teaching them how to navigate with authority figures. You're teaching them that they can demand how and command how they will be treated, that their no has authority. All mm -hmm. of that is anti-rape culture, sexuality education. So it's ongoing and cons consent does not exist just in the bubble of sexual, you know, capacity. So we all need to groom our children to understand consent that they can give it as well and revoke it as well. Young men need to understand that they can give and revoke consent as well because the conversation around consent is kind of girl shaped, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing. And consent is not just sexual. So it's never, it's not a set time to start. Mm -hmm. And even if you start later, it's not too late as long as you're doing something. But understanding that they need to be connected to their bodies and feel ownership over themselves and that they can command how they will be treated by others. Right. And that well, expands into the sexual space. Right. Well, Goody, let me ask you this. How can we as women use sexual exploration? Because you talked about, you know, with, with young men, masturbation is is talked about for young ladies it's not but how can we use sexual sexual exploration to empower ourselves and have that translate into the bedroom um i think masturbation is the answer to so many things self-pleasure solo sex how whatever you want to call it it is the answer to so much because if you don't know your pleasure scripts how can you communicate them to your partner mm. mm -hmm. 
right? If you don't like, if you don't know it, how are you gonna tell somebody else? Mm-hmm. There is, you walk different when you know you can provide your own pleasure. And I think when you can make <laughs> yourself come, you make better decisions about who else is helping you. Ah! Mm. <laughs> come on, girl, preach. <laughs> And that is that is for men, women, and honey. When you can do it yourself, that's why people say masturbate before you go on a date. Because <laughs> you're gonna make a different decision. But are you, I'm from Texas. That sexual you know tension. what I'm saying? I'm from Texas. The old folks call it come drunk. <laughs> when you get so horny, you can't hear over that thump between your legs. You do some dumb shit. And then when you come, you be like, damn, what, what was I thinking? Mm. Who does that? But if you masturbate before you go out, you're thinking clearly. <laughs> you can see the red flags. They don't look pink because you have already cleared your mind. <laughs> right? And so that's a thing that we need to teach each other as adults. Because mm-hmm. adults, well, I don't need to masturbate. I got a partner. Masturbation is for lonely people that don't know how nobody to fuck on. Babe, if you don't know you, not only does masturbation help you explore your own pleasure scripts, it helps with stamina. It helps with pleasure mapping. It helps you figure out what you like, what you don't like, right? It also helps with sexual function. If you are a lower libido person, which is perfectly fine, especially like after chemo and radiation, how your libido is impacted, mm-hmm. masturbation helps you kind of restart that pleasure script. So it starts to fire off those our endorphins and all the things like that, that, that orgasm brings. Mm-hmm. And it's like a jumper cable to remind your body that your body is capable of these things. Right. It's almost like, hey, it's still, right. we're still down here. We still remember function. us. Right. <laughs> and, you, and you practice how you play and it increases your appetite for that. Um, and yeah. then, again, there's nothing wrong with lower libido, but if you notice that it's significantly lower as a result of your, you know, healthcare outcomes, then that yeah. is when you maybe want to change some things. But self-pleasure is so important because it helps you figure out you. And like I said, you move through the world different. You can focus different. When I was in college, I mean, I'm currently, I'm I'm on pause in my PhD program. But when I'm in school and I have a test or something, I masturbate before I study. Because I be anxious. Like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's my, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so I think if we, if we reframed it from something that lonely people do, something that people that don't have partners do. Mm-hmm. To masturbation is having sex with the person you should love most in the world. I love that. Taking the stigma off of it. Yes, if we if we reframe it, then people look different. Also, we always think that you know, um, we most people think about masturbation, they think about big old dick shaped vibrators and dildos. They don't think about the bullets and you know, the rose or, you know, like all of these other types of non-invasive, non-insertive sex toys. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure y'all saw the conversation going around Facebook to say, would you buy your 14-year-old girl, your 14-year-old daughter a vibrator, a sex toy? Would you? You should. I mean, everyone doesn't agree. And a lot of people think it's a dildo. They automatically think like a rabbit. No, I'm not going to buy my 14-year-old a rabbit. (laughs) But I'll right. buy her a bullet so she can explore her external, you know what I'm saying? Right. Get her something right. that she can just explore her pleasure because sex and pleasure aren't the same. Mm-hmm. Sex and right. pleasure are two different things. Right. And people have sex without pleasure all the time. Right. And, and going to a cultural aspect, you know, in certain cultures, women are not supposed to 
enjoy sex. That's for the man it, to it's enjoy. It's not for us. It's, it's for mm -hmm. us to maintain for the pleasure of our partners. And it took so long for us to unlearn that. Why would we perpetuate mm -hmm. that for our children? Specifically right. our, our women children, right? Our female children. Mm -hmm. But like I would get my daughter a bullet or something like that and some lubricant so she could explore her body. I bought my son a pocket pussy. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to prepare him for success too. Right. He's 18. Right. But when he was 16, I got him a pocket pussy. He Up until then, he was just condoms and lube. I wasn't providing nothing else. But, and I don't know if he's sexually active or not, to be clear. Um, I bought him a, a Tootsie that I sell on my site. I gave him product, basically. Um, because I wanted to prepare him for success, too. Men deal with performance anxiety around sexual health and pleasure. And, you know, premature ejaculation coming to that being a minute man and all of that. So I got him something that was closer to the real thing. So when he do get in some real stuff, he'll be a little bit more familiar and he won't, you know, embarrass himself. I'm preparing See, my children for success. There, so I'm raising someone else's partners out here. OK, and I don't know if he's having sex or not because I have raised him and prepared him for success. Much like mm -hmm. when my mom told me for my period. You know what I'm saying? So he knows how to make these life decisions. He knows how to put a condom on. He has condoms on deck. You know what I'm saying? He's so if he's engaging in sexual activity, he's told me, you know, he does, you know, certain parts of sex or whatever. But I don't know if he's actually, you know, gone all the way with another person. And I don't need to because I know that I trained him and parented him in a way that has prepared him for success. So it don't matter. I don't need to know that. That's his private business mm. because I prepared him for success. Now, if I hadn't prepared the child, then yes, I need to know because we got to go over some stuff. I need a flip chart. I need a pro, you know, PowerPoint, you know, but <laughs> we want to prepare our children to not have to unlearn the bullshit that we had to unlearn to become the baddies that we are. Mm, absolutely. Right. So I would get, you know, with sex toys, destigmatizing, understanding that everything doesn't have to go inside your body, understanding that lubricant is your friend, understanding that pleasure can come in many different forms. Um, I teach a workshop called Sensual Intelligence, where I draw a line in the sand between sensuality and sexuality, because those are two different things. One informs the other, right? Sensuality is experiencing non-sexual pleasure through all six of the senses. Mm -hmm. Then you use that sensual intelligence to inform your sexual enjoyment of pleasure of sexual pleasure through all five of the senses. And so people, we conflate those two things and we use sensuality and sexuality interchangeably without understanding that when you're connected to your sensual self, everything brings you pleasure. Pleasure and sex are not the same thing. When it's hot outside and you got a snow cone and that thing is thanging and it's your favorite <laughs> flavor, that's non-sexual pleasure, mm -hmm. right? When you get your hair done, you feeling cute, you know what I'm saying? You get some new glasses. Come on, Team Specs. You know what I'm saying? You get some new glasses. Can I tell you nothing with your glasses? It's cute. Non-sexual pleasure. Your outfit is together. You feel like you look good, right? A cologne. You get someone a hug and they're a great hugger and they smell amazing. You go to brunch and the food is like, it tastes like it was made by angels. Right. Right. That is non-sexual pleasure and you can layer all of that into your sex when you're kissing someone you're not just kissing them you're thinking about the softness of the lips and the, the wetness of the mouth and the exhale and the sharing and exchanging of the same breath you're, mm -hmm. you're not thinking about oh i'm just sucking dick no you're thinking about the weight of the penis on the tongue the firmness against the softness of the lips like all of these different layers mm -hmm. to the pleasure and if you can experience non-sexual pleasure you move with more intention 
just in general through the world. And then you take that same intention and apply it to your sexual pleasure. Right. And I think a big thing with survivors and thrivers is that when you're so focused on your medical challenges and you're focused on the survival and you are, I mean, essentially, you know, you're being confronted with a lot of heavy shit around your mortality and your body's ability to take care of you and all these different things. It's such a non-sexual place to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you do have to make a concerted effort to reconnect mm-hmm. to the non-sexual pleasures in life because it feels like a luxury when you are trying to survive. Thriving does not show up. Right. Thriving feels like something you can't afford. And so once you have gotten to a place where you're no longer trying to survive, you have to make a conscious effort to reconnect to the joys and the pleasures and the gratitude um, of the body that you're in, the pleasure that it can provide, and what that looks like by yourself and with a partner. Right. right? And that is what I think a big thing that's missing when we talk about holistic and, and total personhood in healthcare. Um, we're missing a lot of that, the personhood of health. So let me ask, let me ask this question. So you've, you talked about the importance of removing the stigma and being comfortable with self-pleasure. So I want to ask Vanessa and Monisha, how would you feel or have you ever introduced toys into your bedroom? I have never but we have talked about it. Um, me and my boyfriend have talked about doing it. We just haven't. And I think mm. it's also an intimidation of not really knowing where to start. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, we, we've we discussed it with each other and we're, we're very open to it, but it's just like, we don't really know. What do we, there's so, it's so intimidating. If you, if you look online and looking mm-hmm. at all these different options mm-hmm. out there, it's mm-hmm. what would actually, what, yeah. what, a, like, what I don't know. <laughs> right, 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 right. What about you, Monisha? I don't want to, I want to talk and answer what she was saying until you give your, your answer. <laughs> no, I have, I have not, I've had, the conversations with my husband, but I think like as a man, they, in their mind, like you were talking about earlier, when you mentioned like a toy, they're thinking like a dildo. You're like, nah, I ain't like, nah, that's not, I'm good. Like they yeah. think of it as like, you insulted my manhood. Like what? Mm-hmm. Not like, okay, this is something else. Like we married, we in this for a long time. We got to do some things different. We can, so I think that's been part of the hesitation is that there's not really an understanding. Like when you think about toy as a man, you thinking like, am I not doing enough? Like mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. like, that's a female thing. Like, not that they're like, I'm like, they're rings forgot. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's all kind of stuff. And I don't have a lot of stuff with me, but I do have a few things. Um, Cause I'm at home. I'm not in my office, but a lot of times, again, we men probably think about sex toys the way women probably think about lubricant. It's a comment on their sexual function. It's a comment on how good they are at sex. And it's not. A, a, a sex toy is a, uh, it is a teammate, not a competitor. And the quicker your mm-hmm. partners realize yeah. that, the more enjoyable your sex will be for both of you. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the rose is a great one and a bullet is a great one to introduce uh, into the bedroom with a couple, with a, well, specifically a heterosexual couple. The key to introducing a sex toy into a heterosexual dynamic is that it cannot be dick-shaped and it cannot be bigger than him. 
those Makes are the, the tank because that's what their fear is. The fear yeah. is mm-hmm. that you gonna come in there with this. You have, <laughs> where you what who who finna where that's going? Yeah, no. <laughs> you know what I'm the fear is the fear is that you're gonna come in with something like that. So when you walk in with something like this. Then they're like, oh, okay. Ooh. Okay, maybe. You know, and I don't have it with me, but I have another one. Um, it's a rechargeable, it's called a frisky finger. It's a rechargeable bullet like this, but it has um, a little purple silicone sleeve and it has a finger strap on the back. So you don't have to juggle genitals and sex toy. You can just go to work. And I like it because it's so versatile because you can use it on the vulva and you can also use it in addition to oral sex. Oh, okay. That's just a whole other workshop, but I'm just saying. Um, oh. But something like this, they're not going to be tripping. You know what I'm saying? Something like this, they're not going to be tripping. And and every sex toy, I, what I love about sex toys is they don't have an orientation or a gender. So you can use this mm-hmm. for anything. Clit sucking toys make great nipple sucking toys. And everyone has nipples, Right. Like specifically, I'm talking about for your male partners, okay? Because even if you are a survivor mm-hmm. and a thriver and you've had a double mastectomy and you're not going to do reconstruction, you know, you may not necessarily have that capacity, but your partner mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Right? And you just put a little loop across their nipple and put it on top, it's, it's done. Men enjoy nipple play, but nipples are feminized. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to ask you to. But if you put your mouth on, it, on their nipple, they're not going to stop you. See, this is the stuff that nobody talks about. And so right. I think a very large part of the conversation in our community is, oh my gosh, it hurts. I don't want to do this. But if we're used, if you introduce that into the conversation, that is, that completely changes the narrative. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that is something that it, it comes down to breaking the stigma associated with, with mm-hmm. toys. With and, toys. And, and that's what I think things. when they look like this, it's a little easier. Right. Mm-hmm. What is that? This is the rose. This is the okay. rose. And I have a couple of variations of the rose too that I'm gonna show y'all. But like with this, of course, you can use it on the clitoris, right? You can use it on the mm-hmm. nipples, right? You can also, if you have a penis, right here above my fingernail, that's called the frenulum. That is the most sensitive part of the penis. That's where most mm-hmm. penal erections, uh <laughs> penal orgasms uh originate. You can I was about to say if you, you put the rose right here. <laughs> you can put that's the rose crazy if you Rub that right here, right? Yeah, exactly. Because this is basically the clitoris of the penis. Yeah, this is where the orgasm, most orgasm, the most common orgasm occurs in the penis. But if you can put the loo, you can put the rose right there on the frenulum. You can put it um, underneath, behind the behind the testicles on the um, on the perineum or the taint or the gooch or whatever you call it. So there are lots of different ways that something like this can still be something that everyone enjoys, right? You can also have something like this, which is a rose with a stem, and this is just a bullet, and this is the rose. Now, I love this. I sell this as a uh, oral sex accessory because if you're performing oral sex on your partner, you can have this inserted into the vagina and this on the clit, and then you're using the other hand, the other free hand on your partner while you're giving them head, right? That's this one. And then this one. There's another rose, and this is a. Let me see if I can cut it on so y'all can see what it looks like. Oh, oh, 
<laughs> you can have this inserted and then have this on the clip while you're performing oral sex. And what happens is the reason why your partners give a fuck about that is because when you start to give pleasure and you start to equate giving pleasure with receiving pleasure, right? Because now you're engaging your genitals while you're engaging your mouth. You start to create this operant conditioning that can lead to a Pavlovian response in association with providing and performing pleasure. Now, I know y'all probably didn't think about oral sex and Pavlovian response and operant conditioning, but here we I go. I was gonna say. Science and whole shit is my hashtag. It's the name of the book I'm working on. Um, science I and whole shit is a, is a framework out here, okay? <laughs> but what happens when you start to equate those two things, you start to enjoy performing oral sex more, and there you are, you might do it more. So then your partner cares. Now suddenly the toy is a teammate. Mm. Can you can you show that to us again? That that last one. This one. This is and they're all on the website on askgoody.com. And there is a 20% off discount code on the website, Batty. Askgoody.com. And you all right, I'll just look at make sure I know the 20% off now through okay. the end of the year. Okay. So this is this is the rose with the thruster. And you just press and hold this one at the bottom, and then you just press it, and it cuts this on. And it has different uh, speeds and all of that. So, so ladies, do I don't currently I'm not have a... looking this up right now. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yes, askgoody.com. And it's so, like Monisha, do you think that would be something you could introduce into your bedroom and not and and not make your husband feel some type of way about it. Yeah, I feel like that's something he would be more comfortable with. And I think because, like I said, he's never like when you think about a toy, he's thinking about like a big yeah. Most most people do. Most women do specifically, but a lot of people they think, oh, it's just dicks. It's just vibrating dicks and click, you know. But the frisky finger is a good one too. That's the one with the finger strap because you can again use it on yourself, use it on your partner. And it's small, it's purple, it's not going to be bigger than him, it's not dick-shaped. If it is bigger than him, it doesn't matter, that's your person. Y'all go together, you chose him, y'all go together, he makes you laugh, he's emotionally available. Um, <laughs> and we are going to affirm the bodies that our partners bring to the table, just like they affirm the ones that we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times, too, we get caught up in size and we get caught up in uh, prowess and all of that because we watch too much TV. And uh, mm. I want us to understand that even though size to an extent matters, girth matters more and motion matters most. So I teach a, I teach a class called strokeology too, which is because um, I teach rideology, which is, you know, getting on dick and staying on dick, right? You know, you get up there for about two minutes, three minutes, your knees start <laughs> popping, you know, your check engine light, come on, you got to get down, right? So <laughs> rideology is a partner on top workshop. Um, with low impact positions for the knees and back for stamina, confidence, and control. Strokeology is for people with penises and people that wear strap-ons for stamina, confidence, and control. So we talk about, and even with rideology, they say, oh, you know, my partner is only like four inches, five inches. I can't ride it because it keeps coming out. No, you can't ride it the way you've been riding it. Mm. You can ride it the way I'm going to show you how to ride it. Because <laughs> it doesn't, it, my, 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 the positions that I teach take into consideration penis size, body size, capacity, ability, right? And so you, I actually teach that workshop 
twice a year to the women and girlfriends of people with spinal cord injuries mm. because they're part they're on top all the time every time right and their partners can't give them as much help and support sometimes depending on what their capacity level is so if if i can teach it to women that are fucking partners with spinal cord injuries if you have oh, an yeah. able-bodied partner right. what is we saying right. You know what I'm saying? And I know that, you know, chemo and just the treatment options for breast cancer right. are limited and they are emotionally and physically expensive. Right. Not even financially expensive. They are emotionally and, and physically expensive. Right. So we talk about fatigue, you know, you're having libido challenges, you're having wetness challenges, you're having orgasm challenges because it changes the texture of the skin on the vulva. Right. And it therefore changes the way you receive pleasure and the level of arousal you need to get the function started and all of these different things, which is why lubricant is important. Right. Specifically for thrivers, lubricant is important. So that that brings me to our next question about Mm -hmm. lubricant. So when you have a total hysterectomy, this was nothing that was ever explained to me Mm -hmm. that lubrication is going to go away. So can you give like some suggestions on how can you because i you mentioned i feel some type of way that i gotta admit that i need to use lubricant but that's the stigma that has been taught to me yeah everybody needs lubricant because when i tell you i have i have made sex toys that were waterproof stop working and i still use lubricant i squirt up and wet up all kinds of shit on a regular basis and i still use lubricant so don't don't feel no kind of way sis please because okay. even I feel like I am Miss Aquafina Wapity Wap 2022, and I still <laughs> okay. Please know, lube is your friend, so don't feel the way about that. But I will say, with lubricant, there are there are things that are not lubricant that can help as well, right? So if you are using like uh, HRT or anything like that, that may be some kind of support. But there are some suppositories that kind of they're like jumbo cables for your pussy. Basically, it reminds your body that it can make its own moisture. Okay. And so it helps the, those parts of the body continue to or start to come back to life, as it were. Uh, Replenish has a great one, a vaginal moisture suppository. Um, Good Clean Fun has an amazing one, and they're both pH balanced and all of the things. What they are not is condom and sex toy compatible um, because they are oil-based. Now, I don't refer anything KY ever because I feel like KY is the devil. It is the Trojan of lubricants. Um, it has the best branding, but it's not the best product, like Trojans. Um, but so, but they have a suppository that is condom compatible, and so I give them that, right? So if you're using condoms or sex toys, you don't want to have an oil-based anything because it will tear your sex toys up and tear your condoms up. Um, but water-based lubricant is your friend. Masturbation or self-pleasure or just continuing. The, the pleasure cycle will also help because it will remind your body of what it's capable of doing. But those suppositories specifically help mm-hmm. replenish the pH balance and the lubrication and like the science and whole shit of it all kind of restore that, that environment and that ecosystem inside mm-hmm. the vagina that will help create and sustain that moisture. So how do you, how do you introduce that like into the bedroom Oh, you in the well, middle of just like how? Well, there are so the suppositories you put them in every day like a vitamin. Okay. So it's like you your body has to like it has to get you know starts to you re up. Um, 
some some lubricants come in like the suppositories. You can put it in the middle of the day. You know you're having sex later, and you'll be ready to go when it's time to have sex. Um, I have, which I need to get my, on my Amazon store because I'm slipping. I have an automatic soap dispenser, hand soap dispenser next to my bed full of lubricant. That is smart. Even a broke clock is right twice a day, child. I just look like this. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be over there. You know what I'm saying? I just reach over and get to it. Whether I'm by myself or he's in there with me. Wow. That is wide open. That is because then you don't have life to stop and be like, okay, wait a minute. Right there. <laughs> a minute. Right. All right, I'm ready now. Right. You ain't got to do all that. You just smooth with it. Hey, hey. <laughs> and really, to make it less about you, put the lube on the tip of the dick. Mm. Don't put the lube on your body. Put the lube on the tip of the dick. And then okay. take the head of the penis and explore the vulva, which is the external genitals, to apply the lubrication. And then slide it on in that thing. <laughs> now okay. it's not. Now it's sexier. It's more fun, right? And it's not like on some oh okay. You right. know what I'm saying? Nobody. That, that, this is not even lube, but still, <laughs> <laughs> it's hair oil because my daughter has cornrows right now. So, but I'm saying, don't nobody want to stop and be like, you know what I'm saying? No one. No one. Yeah. Even when you, and I think it also helps with the stigma of self pleasure too, because you don't have to try to stop and find the lubricant and do the things that's right there. And right. it doesn't say, "Hey, I'm lube." <laughs> yeah, it's just next to your bed. It's a little sleek, little. I have the metal one because you know decor and yeah. <laughs> aesthetic. You know, aesthetic, aesthetic. Yeah. You know, and that's <laughs> sens- and it's sensual pleasure because it goes like my room still looks uninterrupted and soothing to the to the to the sight. You know what I'm saying? So it's sensual pleasure, and it just ain't going about your business. So what what is your go to? Is there one that you that you like more than than you already said KY? And I agree with you, KY is awful. It's the devil um, because it gets sticky fast. It holds bacteria to the body. It can challenge and by holding bacteria, it can challenge the pH balance. All of the things. Um, my favorite lubricant. I'm, I need them to give me a check, Adam and Eve. If you're listening, watching, um, I love. Adam and Eve water-based personal lubricant. And I'm actually going to email them because I I make it rain with this stuff. Um, <laughs> I love it. I have, I have I, before I got the little automatic dispenser, I had the 32 ounce, the 16 ounce bottle that's like a pump at the top. Like th- it looks like, like this part at the top. And so you could just reach over and kind of go like that. It was still easy. But I was like, how can I make this even better? But I love uh, Adam and Eve uh, personal water-based lubricant because it doesn't get sticky. It just goes and goes and goes. Mm-hmm. I really do enjoy it. I use it when I'm teaching my blowjob class when we get to the hand parts. Mm-hmm. And people are putting it on sil- like silicone dildos and it's not drying out. It's not. It's They got to go wash their hands and wash their dick off after because it's still like luby. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I think Adam and Eve is one of the best ones I've seen. Now it says water-based lubricant, but the first ingredient is not water. And some people care about that. So I'm going to say that. I am. I have been natural for 22 years and don't care about, I do care now, but originally we didn't have special natural hair products. You just used what you used when you had a relaxer, right? So I don't right. care about sulfins and parabens and sulfates and shit. Does my hair get clean, right? Mm-hmm. So with the lubricants and people want the first ingredient to be water, I understand. However, comma, 
when the first ingredient is water, it does like dissipate faster. Mm. Uh, silicone lube is great if you're uh, super allergic to a lot of different things because silicone lube is man-made and it has the least amount of ingredients. Okay. Some sex toys are compatible with uh, silicone lubricants and a lot of condoms are compatible with silicone lubricants. And my favorite silicone lube is Uber Lube. Okay. Um, Oil-based, I just say use fractionated coconut oil. Um, fractionated coconut oil is liquid at room temperature. Mm -hmm. Coconut oil is solid at room temperature. You don't want to put nothing mm -hmm. on your pussy that's going to be solid at room temperature. It doesn't make sense because it's going to go back. It's going to be something that's a little bit more viscous. The point of lubricant is to get, create a smoother ride. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, so a gel lubricant is specifically for butt plugs and anal sex and like um, electrodes and things like that. You don't want to use gel lubricant to have sex. You want to use a liquid lubricant to have sex because you don't want to add friction you want to reduce friction mm. it's like a gel yeah, lube yeah. yeah gel lubes are for like butt plugs and like electrodes if you're doing like power play electricity play and stuff nipple clamps perhaps because it helps things stay in place mm. whereas liquid lubricant is for the for the friction for the back and the forth okay okay all right ladies do y'all have um a go-to lubricant that y'all use I, uh -oh. I tried uh, bedroom That was candy. my hormone therapy <laughs> alarm. Sorry. <laughs> I Go mean, ahead. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried like the bedroom candy, but it's like almost like a warming gel. So it's not necessarily like the loop because I just to see if my husband would be like, this is, you know, we mm. can use it. So and we we enjoy it, but it's more so the and it's you can taste like it's edible so yeah okay that's yeah. and the edible stuff i i love to tell people about edibles for oral sex specifically um yeah. typically you don't use you will you use it i mean because you if you go straight from sucking the fucking you're going to use like flavored lube for sex right but typically flavored lube is not a like for insertive sex lube right can be absolutely can be but typically it's not um and then the warming and all that i love like the warming and the tingling lubes and things like that on nipples, um, on the taint of the gooch, the perineum. Um, people that are super sensitive can't tip, can't use yeah. those. I can't. I be like, it feel like an Altoid in my pussy. I don't like it. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. But I mean, everybody is not. You know, just because I don't like it, don't mean somebody else won't. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mean? Right. Um, but I think it's great that you and your partner are at least exploring and like, okay. What about this? You know what I'm saying? It got to start somewhere. Yeah, because I was anti-lube for a while. See? See? Because I was like, eh, I don't need that. Right. That's how I felt. But I felt like after going through breast cancer and stuff, like you, my mind was a lot because your body changes and you're like, mm -hmm. okay, we we can try some some different stuff. And I'm like, okay, I, I was missing out because, you know. Listen, I started using lube like as a sexologist. Like I started using lube like maybe in my for masturbation always. Like with sex with a partner, I'ma say in the last twelve years, eleven years. And I was like, bitch, I could have been boy if I had this in college. Whoo! The change God knew. God knew I ain't need no. God knew I ain't need lubricant in college. Ooh! God knew so, the universe was protecting motherfuckers out here. They knew. <laughs> 
But I didn't need to, I didn't need to think I need lube in college because it would have been a problem. <laughs> They'd have been looking for you with a flashlight in the daytime. Girl. And do and do. <laughs> I got married on New Year's Eve, twenty twenty twelve. I when we didn't tell we, would, we didn't tell anybody was dating seriously or nothing, right? I, if I go out, I'm going to take a picture with him. I'm going to take a picture with everybody in that room. I'm going to take a picture with you, with you, with you. I'm going to post them all on social media. So you don't know who the fuck I'm there with, right? <laughs> right. New Year's Eve, we post our rings like this on social media with our little hands like this. Maybe I posted that shit on Twitter and cut my phone off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be a problem. I knew it was going to be a problem. Oh, that's where you at with it? I thought it was going to be me and you. You didn't think that. You didn't think <laughs> I was sitting around here waiting on you. You didn't think that. Like, Really? Just I just turned my mm. phone off for a few days. I said I come back on later because I don't have time for this foolishness. I know this gonna be some bullshit. Oh, you know, and do and, and I didn't. Now Goody is not my born name, but it is my legal name, and I did not name myself. Mm. And that's all I have to say about that. That took me a second to process what you said. I was like, okay. Because people are like, oh, is your name Goody? Yes. Is your real name Goody? Yes. The government and the tax man call me Goody. Yes. My name is Goody. Mm-hmm. So Goody, hmm. we've talked about lubricants. We've talked about uh, using, introducing sex toys. Kegels. Let's talk about Kegels. Give us the 411 on what we need to be doing when it comes to Kegels. Because that is a big part of pleasure as well, right? Um, yes and no. So a lot of times we think Kegel and every time you say Kegel, we're doing them. That's just the nature of the word. We're socialized, right? So Kegeling for the sake of Kegeling is only going to add to your pleasure. It's not going to strengthen your pelvic floor in any significant way. Mm. And I think a lot of us think that. Um, and I want to give a shout out. Yeah. Question. What Uh is, what is that? (laughs) Okay. So the Kegels, uh, it's a muscle group. It was the, the the guy that discovered the muscle group is his name is Kegel, so that's what they call it. But it's the pelvic floor muscle group. And so, let's say you're if you're peeing, if you stop your flow of urine, that's your Kegel muscle group. That the muscles that you use to stop pee mid flow, that is your Kegel muscle group. And you should be Kegeling on the dick if you have sex with penises. If you're having mm-hmm. sex with dildos or penises and the insert of sex, you should be Kegeling on the dick at some point in your process to help you connect all of your nerve endings to all of their nerve endings. But Kegeling for the sake of Kegeling is only going to help you Kegel on the dick. It is not going to strengthen your pelvic floor as a whole. And a lot of people think that that's the case and it's not. Um, Exercises that strengthen your glutes, your inner upper thigh and your, your outer, like your thigh muscles and your butt, those are going to strengthen your pelvic floor as well. Your lower abdominal muscles, inner upper thigh and glutes, all those exercises and stretches, those strengthen your pelvic floor. So squats, lunges, pigeon stretch, yoga, all of the, that kind of thing. Oh. Those things strengthen your entire pelvic floor, which can contribute to, it doesn't contribute to vaginal tightness, okay? Because that's a myth. Uh, but it does contribute to your ability to manipulate your vaginal muscles during sex. Hmm. Did not know learn that. something new every day. I had no idea what that was. I was like, wait, hold on a second, back up. All right, and, got it. And every human being has Kegel muscles. It's not just us, it's them too. So if you have a penis, if you can make that dick jump, that's your Kegel muscles. Oh when you 
when you pee in and you stop the flow of urine, that's your Kegel muscles. So they can do their Kegel muscles as well. And what, what it does, what Kegel muscles for people with penises does is let's say he gets erect and his penis points down. What it does is it strengthens the root of the penis as he continues to Kegel. It could angle the penis more upward and give more support at the root of the dick. It improves stamina and it improves erection quality. Oh. Because erection quality changes, just like our arousal changes based on who we're with, when we're with them and all of that. Mm -hmm. Same thing for people with penises. So you might get, you know, you might get a brick dick one day. You might get a pipe the next day. You might get a, a hot link the next day. You never know. You know, so it might be just hard enough for you to fuck with. You don't know. It just depends on where they're at mentally, emotionally, right? All that matters. Um, it, it, it matters for their health. It matters how much water they're consuming. If they have a sedentary lifestyle and they sit on their, you know, sit on their genitals basically all day long. Um, and if they're doing their Kegels or not. All that shit matters. They gave me a little chill. Oh, <laughs> we think we think it's us, it's us, it's us, it's them too. Don't 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 carry a load that's not yours. Don't carry a burden that does not belong to you. <laughs> so let's go back to this. Let's go back to this pelvic flooring. So, mm -hmm. so to strengthen that or to build that up, mm -hmm. yoga, squats, lunges. Yes. So, okay, so what about this vaginal dilators? Okay, vaginal dilators are to help people that have vaginismus or people that are tr of trans experience and have now had uh, sex confirmation surgery and need to give the negative space because the vaginal muscle is negative space. It separates when you put something in it and it fits to what you put in it. So the dilators, vaginismus is like they have these, their, their vaginal muscles are contracted all the time and insertive sex is painful. So those mm. vasodilators are specific to helping you relax those muscles around the dilator to help you then possibly get to a point where you are not having painful insertive sex. And that's why I love my pelvic floor therapist. Mm -hmm. Shout out to um, the vagina rehab doctor on Instagram. She's amazing. She's a black woman, amazing. Um, and it just... It really just, it you have to connect to your body a little different. And so when we're talking about the Kegels on the pelvic floor and all of that stuff, the, the, the exercises that you should be doing are whole body exercises. Even if like, if you had a baby, even if you didn't have a baby vaginally, if you had that baby with a C-section, because I'm team, I'm team C-section, I have two C-sections, you still have a pelvic floor challenge postpartum. Mm -hmm. And so those stretches and those exercises will help you regain and also consulting a pelvic floor therapist because we, we don't even know. I didn't even know a pelvic floor therapist was a thing. I was in a mm -hmm. conference and a pelvic floor therapist was in the room and they work specifically with people of trans experience reconnecting to their genitals after surgery. But I was like, do you help with, you know, postpartum human beings? And they were like, yeah, what? That should when you have a baby, you should get the number to the PT therapist when you get the OBGYN and the and the uh pediatrician's number. Right. But we don't, you know, so I think pelvic floor therapists, <clears throat> if you are having challenges, if when you cough, you pee. If when you gotta pee right now, you gotta pee right now. Cause that was my life. Mm -hmm. I'm too old to be having accidents. I'll be 42 in February. <laughs> I'm too old to be having accidents. So consulting with a pelvic floor therapist. Sometimes on Instagram, they're giving you free game. Wow. 
And if you can use that information towards healing yourself, and then if it still doesn't work, then consult them. Save yourself some coin. But yeah. pelvic floor therapists exist. So if the the lunges and the squats and the you know those resistance bands you can put around your legs and you do the little uh -huh. side step, mm -hmm. all of the all of that yeah. lower abdominal, your lower abdomen, the, the 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 muscles that are right behind below the navel, between your navel and your vulva, that stretch of muscles, all of that is pelvic floor. So when you're doing your crunches, when you're doing them ab tightening situations, all of that is pelvic floor. Wow. And see, if women knew this, whether you have been affected by cancer or you're, you've had a baby, if you knew that you could control all of that by just strengthening your core, from that's, that's what it sounds like to me. Yep. Mm -hmm. You would have more women around here doing crunches, lunges, squats, because... Yep. That's where you're, that's where and you're it's accessible. Lies. It's super accessible too. Cause like while we binge watching all this shit on TV, you could just be laying on the floor doing some stuff. Right. You could be sitting on the couch with the leg bands on doing y'all. I don't know how old y'all are, but the thigh master, y'all remember the thigh master? Yes. You yes. could be, you could put that band around with past, you know, above your knees and be sitting on the ground, sitting on your couch, binge watching something and thigh mastering it up, squatting during commercial breaks. You know what I'm saying? It's accessible. We, we tend to think that it's not. Right, and right. once, and if it's not accessible, it's not revolutionary. And I consider myself a revolutionary. So access is important to me. Right. Um, right. So it's accessible for us to be able to strengthen our bodies. And like I said, sensuality and sexuality, right? The way you feel after a workout, even if it's not a workout, the way you feel when you get outside and got some fresh air and got your blood pumping. I don't mm. work out for weight loss. I, I know I make 265 look easy, but don't try this at home. <laughs> I don't work out for weight loss. I work out because of how my body feels. I feel strong and powerful and beautiful and flexible. And that's the sensual experience of exercise for me. Mm -hmm. Right? And that reframe makes people enjoy the shit. If you are exercising because you don't want to be fat, first of all, that's fat phobic, revisit it. Um, but if you ex <laughs> you're exercising to lose weight, you're exercising, you know, because you for your health, because you don't want to get whatever disease you're trying to avoid, right? right. That's gonna put pressure mm -hmm. and a negative connotation on the on the concept of exercise. Right. But when you do it, you feel so it hurts so good kind of shit, right? Like, ooh, that's yeah. the shit that you focus on and you say, okay, how do I feel in this moment? I'm grateful that my body can move this way. Right. Right. That's what that's how it shows up. That's what it looks like. And so right. even because sexual health is general health. Mm -hmm. That's why I do pleasure and professional mm -hmm. development. I do professional development for healthcare providers. I do professional development for social workers and educators around this stuff. Mm. Because they don't have to, healthcare providers only have to have eight hours of human sexuality to become medical medical doctor. Crazy. So I, and none of it is pleasure centered and none of it includes the clitoris. Mm -hmm. There's only one medical book with the clitoris even in it. What? Wow. Wow. So it's, so that is a thing, right? And I think there should be a part of when you're talking about care for a chronic condition or for for uh, when you're talking about what your care plan is, if you're diagnosed with breast cancer or any other type of cancer, part of your health consult should be, how is this going to impact your sexual health? But it's not. Mm -hmm. Because we think that your sexual health is not as high up on the totem pole as your general health. Mm -hmm. But studies show that when you have relationship satisfaction, when you feel connected to your partner, you are more apt to heal and more quickly and be more connected to your care and, mm -hmm. and, and you'll have more adherence to your medical interventions. 
Goody. So since you said that, enlighten us on, and this is this is something that I can say personally is kind of like, oh my God, did she just say that? Enlighten us on being a squirter. Because I've been told that every woman can squirt. <laughs> okay. So so give us the give us the skinny on that girl. Okay, so it is my professional opinion that every woman that was assigned female at birth can squirt because every woman was not assigned female at birth. Whether you agree or disagree is not, I'm not here for that. I'm saying it. Every woman that was assigned female at birth has the physical capability to squirt, but it's kind of like a six pack, right? We all have abdominal muscles too, but we don't all have six pack. That shit takes effort and concentration. So does squirting. Okay. Um, and I actually read an article maybe last month that trans women may be able to squirt soon too. I don't know, girl. I don't know. So I'm excited about it for them, but you know, um, but squirting is in theory, every woman that was assigned female at birth can squirt. So what happens is if you're having sex that you enjoy, keyword enjoy, and you feel like you have to pee, it's not pee. Relax and let it go. It's physiologically impossible for an aroused human to urinate. We call that sexual incontinence, and it's painful as hell. Now, it feels like, I, I'm just going through with the silence. I'm, I can see your faces. I'm just going to continue. Yeah. <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like you have to pee because it's the same muscle group and it's coming out the same hole. It's coming out the same hole, but then don't that make it pee? Huh. I said... If men and if men can come and pee from the same hole, why can't women? There's something that exists in medical science called anatomical correlation. The penis and the vagina are anatomically analogous. So when you pee and come from the same hole as vulvas can do, that's squirting. So what happens is, what is it? What is it made of? The liquid that you're squirting out of your body in this time of arousal is a combination of water from the bladder and prostatic fluid from the skein's gland, which is the female prostate. Now, well, if it's coming from the bladder, don't that make it pee? Science and hoe shit. Okay. <laughs> science and hoe shit. Because that's the name of my book that I'm working on. It ain't ready yet. Don't ask me. But I own scienceandhoeshit.com and the, that's the name of my book. So science and hoe shit dictates that the bladder holds excess water from the body. It doesn't become pee until it mixes with the impurities from the kidneys. Mm. Kidneys, bladder, urethra is urine. Skeen's gland, bladder, urethra is squirt. And the reason squirt does not dry as fast as pee is because the prosthetic fluid from the skeen's gland is oil-based. Oh. So it's more molecularly dense <laughs> than urine. For those who can't see, my mind just exploded. It just mind <laughs> too. So here's the thing. I don't know if it's the chemo brain or if it's my actual It's actual brain. So listen, when you're having sex that you enjoy and you're connected to the pleasure and you're engaged and you feel like you have to pee, it's not pee. Your body cuts off that that pathway, just like the body with a penis cuts off that pathway. When they come, it's cum, it's not pee. Also, I hear people say, well, that mean it got trace amounts in it because, you know, it's pee in it because it come out the urethra, right? Okay, it's trace amounts of urine and male ejaculate too. What you doing about it? Mmm. Mmm. Because <laughs> it's coming out the same hole, ain't it? 
It's coming up to right. say, what you doing about it? Also, right. in real ass life, if I have a, a <laughs> cup of crown and a cup of water and I take a straw and I drink a, a sip of crown with that straw and I take that same straw and put it in some water and take a sip, that There's sip crown has trace amount of crown, but that crown, shit ain't crown, it? is it? No. Right? It's trace <laughs> amounts of crown. Am I going to get drunk on trace amounts of crown? No. You will no. not be harmed by trace amounts of urine. In real life, you can drink urine and not be harmed if that person drinks enough water. But that's a whole other thing. If that's your kink, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yuck anyone's yum. I'm just saying, science and ho shit, if that person is properly hydrated, you could actually drink their pee. I really wish everyone could see our faces during this entire <laughs> thing. Like, I what? Like that's the show. Wait, what? Yeah, no. Everybody, just watching uh, yeah. us process the information is it a show in and wow. of itself. <laughs> wow. Ladies, this has been an awesome conversation goody thank you thank you for sharing yeah. we need to do a part two <laughs> we need a part two I've i'm sitting here like i have so many questions now <laughs> yeah well listen no, listen let me tell y'all because since i'm here i don't know when y'all when this is going to air so i want to get some stuff off and if you can edit it out if it don't apply that works for me uh but i have new year new toys coming up it's an online sex toy party um okay. on january 31st it's only $15 and if you get the replay, you'll get like, if you buy your ticket, you'll get the replay. So during that, I'm gonna give a discount code for 50% off of one item in your cart. But I'm basically highlighting all the sex toys and the new stuff and all of the, you know, are some of some favorites and things because people don't even know what sex toys are out there and what they do. Um, and then, so that'll be January 31st, but there will be a replay available for sale, right? Okay. Um, and then I'm doing, uh, on February 10th, I'm doing Sensual Intelligence. I also have a sex toy raffle. I'm doing a, a Valentine's basket worth $300 worth of stuff. Uh, raffle tickets are $5. And uh, and I'm doing the raffle will be live on Zoom so people know I'm not like padding the basket to make sure people, my people get it. Um, and then on the 10th, I'm doing Sensual Intelligence, which we were talking about earlier, drawing the line in the sand between sensuality and sexuality. Um, so the Goody Gang is my email list. And I, 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 because I violate every community standard on every social media platform <laughs> in existence, um, my email list is a little more important to me because that way, if they do take my platform away, you know, cause I'm, I can't run ads, I can't do anything. And I have like almost 28,000 followers on Instagram now, but that's completely organic because Instagram don't fuck with me. Um, so I, I tell people to join the, the email list so that when new stuff comes out, they'll know. Um, but I'm always like doing workshops. The replays for the workshops are available on Ask Goody all the time. Um, so my rideology, which is the partner on top, uh, strokeology, which is for people with penises and people that wear strap-ons, lick, which is the blowjob class, lip service, which is the pussy eating class. Uh, those all those replays are available on my website. The discount code, the baddie discount code, does apply to the replays. So if people want right. to just go see what the dick riding class is talking about or the, you know, all of that, the discount code applies to the replays as well. Not the live classes, because I can't, I don't even know how to put the discount codes on the live classes, but the replays, absolutely. So if y'all, and then, and you know, because people do, they, like you, like Vanessa said, they have questions, right? Mm -hmm. I say, if you have a question about dick riding, buy the replay, watch the class, and then book a one-on-one -on -one with me, because you're going to book a one-on-one -on -one with me and burn your time up asking questions that would have been answered in the replay. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like buy the replay first, then book a one-on-one -on -one for us to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I want people to work smarter, not harder. And again, accessibility 
is important. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so I can't count other people's coins and I ain't trying to drive people broke behind right. pleasure because pleasure is not a luxury. Pleasure is a birthright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. Well, Goody, thank you so much. This episode is actually going to air on February the 3rd. Okay. So the, our listeners will miss the... Um, They'll miss the toy party. They'll miss the but, toy party. But, but not the... um. Not the not, they won't miss the raffle and they won't miss the sensual intelligence and that's on why I said about the, yeah and then the replays as well. Also in March is Steak and Blowjob Day, so I'll be doing a, a special Steak and Blowjob Day edition of the Blowjob class the week before because it's a thing. Okay. Um, you know, work smarter not harder. That's um, right. <laughs> but I, I mean, I really do try to make it accessible. And with the replays, you can you know you have it for thirty days. You can watch it at your leisure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. rewind something if you. What did she say? You know, what I'm saying like mm-hmm. it just makes mm-hmm. it again more accessible for people. And I really, I love what y'all are doing because I think that when we talk about um, breast cancer, we don't think about life after. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people just automatically assign a level of mortality to it. We don't right. think about mm-hmm. what thriving afterwards looks like or breast cancer mm-hmm. survivor. We kind of, I teach a workshop about uh, professional development around sex and disability and sex and aging. And we talk about how um, life after cancer or life after chemo specifically and radiation mm-hmm. treatments can impact your sexual function and pleasure and how it's left out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm ex- that's why I say I'm excited to do this. I'm excited to have this conversation with y'all because we desexualize a large portion of our population based on what people that have never experienced what they've experienced have decided mm-hmm. their experience looks like. Right. And I don't think, I don't think that that's, I, I don't think that that's fair. And I don't think that that is decent. I actually have a colleague named Erica Hart. She's a breast cancer survivor, a thriver as well. And, um, she is amazing. She's like a, like the academia kind. She's like a professor. Um, but honey, she had her double mastectomy, her reconstruction, and she don't have she don't have nipples now, so she don't wear shirts. Mm. She she topless everywhere because the nipple was the problem, right? Mm-hmm. She topless everywhere. She walked the one she walked Fashion Week topless. Wow. So like we don't think those. No, I, I have not personally like in my own body been impacted by by breast cancer, but I think that we need to make continue because I definitely make space for it. But I think we need to continue to make space for mm-hmm. how that shows up because you're still people and everyone that's breathing wants to experience pleasure mm-hmm. and should have access to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank y'all for doing this. Thank y'all for having me. Thank y'all for doing this. Cause it's very, very important. And specifically for women of color, because when we get breast cancer, it's usually much more aggressive and much more mm-hmm. all these things. I used to work at Color mm-hmm. for the Cure too. So <laughs> we had to take whole like classes and stuff about it. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm here for it. Whatever y'all need from me, I, I'm here for it. Like I'm I'm down. Well, Goody, we are so appreciative um to you for being in this space with us. Um please share with our listeners how can they connect with you once again. Um, I am Ask Goody on everything. A S K G O O D Y. My Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest. I neither tick nor talk, but I have a TikTok. Because um, <laughs> I don't want nobody to put under my name. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm Ask Goody everywhere. The website is askgoody.com. My email is askgoody at gmail. Like you can't you can't miss me. If you really want to ask Goody, 
It ain't hard to find them. And it's goody with a Y. All right. And don't forget that you can use the baddie discount code for 20% off of your purchase. So thank you, Monisha. Thank you, baby baddie Vanessa, for listening. Thank you to our listeners for joining in. It's been another baddie behavior episode. So please make sure that you like, share, and subscribe to baddie to baddie wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And make sure you tune in on Thursday, February 17th for a new episode of Batty Behavior. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is another Batty creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Batty to Batty wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Rest of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us, and check us out online at breastofus.com. Thanks for listening.